Oh, there it is. Well, good morning. Um, so glad you're with us this morning. Hope that you have had a wonderful Thanksgiving week. Uh, hope it's been filled with wonderful family, uh, precious time with them, wonderful food, and just a restful week. Uh, that is the exact opposite, however, of what we see in Jesus' life in the text that we're going to be studying today uh, in the book of Mark. We've been in this study in uh, the Gospel of Mark. And it's been a long day. I just want to remind you of some of the things that Jesus has, has been through, right? Uh, and we're not even sure it started with going up on the mountain, but we know that it was part of it, right? He's on top of a mountain. He's, he's made a selection of the 12 disciples. Uh, he comes down from the mountain to, his mother-in-law's house, to Peter's mother-in-law's house uh, in Capernaum. And it's so packed in with people who are asking questions and wanting to be healed that they, they can't even move to go eat, and it's, it's such a crazy thing that if you heard that your, your child was not eating and, and saying some crazy things, you might go to them and say, hey, let's, let's straighten this out. Well, that's exactly what Jesus' family did. They show up, and the Bible says they, they show up to arrest him, in essence, is what the Greek word says, to take hold of him and to help him uh, figure out what's going on, get him some food. It's been a crazy, crazy day. Well, they come, and Jesus tells them, listen, Who's my family, right? The people who obey God's word. That's who my family is. That's, that's this church. That's this people around me who are following Christ. That's my mother and my brothers, Jesus says. And then he gets some space and he goes out of the home and goes down to the seashore. And he begins to teach. In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about this teaching style of Jesus, which has been through stories or what we call parables, where he compares something that everybody would be aware of, something common in their day, and he, and he compares it to something of the kingdom or something about himself that can be understood to take people deeper in their relationship with God or understanding of his kingdom. And so we've been studying these parables, right? And this is, I'm already exhausted just thinking about this one day. And it brings us to our current text in Mark chapter 4. Evening has come. Finally, on this long day, if you have your Bibles, look with me in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Read this short but powerful story. Mark 4, 35 says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Pray with me this morning. Father God, we look in your word and we're so grateful for this story and so many others, Lord, that teach us of how amazing you are. That teach us, God, that you are with us that you are powerful, that you are sovereign and in control of every single storm in our lives. 
And I believe that in each one of our lives that are listening to this prayer, me in this room and watching online, we are facing some sort of a storm probably right now. And if not right now, we're going to. And God, I pray that this story reminds us of how amazing you are, how powerful you are, that even in the chaos of our lives, you are the creator over it all. And you can be trusted. We can rest and hope in you. Father, I pray today by the uh, name of Jesus that you, by your grace, would lead us into all truth by your spirit. Father, that I would decrease and you would increase in this time and that your word would be seen clearly to us, Lord, that we would know it and have the courage to be obedient to it. Father, bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, back when, I guess it was about, let's see here, two and a half, I guess two and a half years ago, right? Is that right? When COVID started. And around spring of 2020, and it was a crazy moment, and I know you remember it. And we were all kind of like, what is this? What do we do? And we stopped having services. And that was the strangest thing in 32 years of ministry, never been where we stopped services. Uh, we continued our services, but we didn't have people. We just did a broadcast online, and that was so strange. And we didn't go to each other's homes. We didn't go to dinner. We didn't go anywhere. We, we kind of quarantined at home, especially, remember, the, the infamous two weeks. Just, just give us two weeks, right? And uh, all of that. And, and we were just trying to figure out what is going on. And I remember it was about a month or more into COVID, and I was really feeling the fear like the rest of us were. And I was really concerned. We didn't know how serious this was. What was this going to mean for us? as a church, as a people, as a nation, as human beings around the world. And I could sense that around the world. I could sense that in, in my family and in, in you. And, and part of what I do is, is the way God has created me is to create. I, I write things. I write music. I produce music. I, I, I do different things. And it was one of those days where I was just seeking the Lord. And I just grabbed my old guitar, my old 1959 Gibson, which is my favorite. It's got a lot of songs still left in it. And I grabbed that guitar and I, I grabbed God's word and I started looking through Mark chapter 4. And the Lord led me to this story of Jesus on a boat with his disciples in the middle of a storm. And I just kept thinking, God, this is where it feels like we're at. But what's amazing about this story and what's amazing about this moment in time is that you're the maker of those waves there on. You're the maker of the water. You're the maker of the wind. So if that's the case, if we believe that, if we see that in Mark 4, what do we have to be afraid of? You're with us. And I wrote this song, Maker of the Waves, and, and it was a fun little you know, kind of creative project to put out and try to be an encouragement to those who would hear it. And I couldn't help but think about that as we come to this passage in Mark and all the time that has passed, and yet that sentiment is still true in our lives. First thing I noticed about the text this morning is the fact that it's evening. Now, I don't know how many of you like to go on a nice little boat ride in, in, a, in a large body of water at nighttime, but don't bring me, okay? I, I'm not going. That does not sound fun to me. It sounds scary. I know this is a, a society, a group of people who, are, who live by this body of water, and they know it well, and 
but still, this, I want to give you some, some understanding of what we're talking about here. Now, yes, seven of Jesus' disciples were fishermen, right? They're experts in a boat. But a couple of things about the Sea of Galilee that you need to know. Number one, the Sea of Galilee is not a sea. They call it a sea because at times it, it seemed like a sea. It's so vast, it seems like a sea. But it's not a sea. It's actually a lake. It's a fresh uh, water body of water. It's 13 miles long, seven miles wide. It's uh, nearly 700 feet below sea level. And so, and there, there are these sheer cliffs and, and great rise from the, the water to the top of the Golan Heights. I even have a picture, I think, of a, a sunset or something. I don't know if we have that in there, of the Golan Heights where you can see kind of how, how high it is to the bottom of the, the, the lake there. And it just goes on to where you can't see it. It's, it's a large body of water. In fact, when the winds come in from the top of those cliffs and they, they hit the lowness of that body of water 700 feet below sea level, you can imagine what happens with the weather, right? The humidity that rises off that water and the wind that comes down causes some major storms. In fact, in 1992, there was a storm that, that caused 10-foot waves on the Sea of Galilee. So that's, I want to give you some context to what is going on in this story, right? As we consider the whole thing and what, what God wants to teach us, remember some of that aspect and context of this place. The first thing on my mind as I'm reading this and I'm praying about it is that Jesus led them into the storm. That's the first thing on my mind. <laughs> Jesus said, hey, why don't we get in those boats Right? You, I, don't, I don't know if it was common to be on the water at night, but it's not necessarily common here. You imagine them going, really? I mean, no, they didn't have this, but you know, like, really? Oh, okay. Uh. So Jesus leads them into the storm. Verse 35, it says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Right? So we're talking a pretty good, a pretty good ways. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm, great windstorm, Mark says, arises. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that boat, the boat was being filled with water. So it's dark. It's evening. And these are fishing boats. Now, the boat that I took this picture in, on the Sea of Galilee but that, that picture that you were just looking at is a big, the one that was, is our um, series title. Go back to that other one just for a second, Paul. There, that boat right there is a boat that, you know, like the one I was on when I took it. It's a big boat. It holds a lot of people. That is not a first century boat, though it kind of looks kind of cool in the picture. <laughs> Let me show you what a first century boat looks like because there was one in the museum. This boat was found in the mud around Galilee. The, the, the slivers of wood. They took all the, the literally the, the slivers, pieces of wood, pieced it back together to form the boat. It's not a very big boat. Like there's only maybe five or six people could fit in this boat. This is a first century, 2,000 year old boat. This is what we're talking about Jesus being in. That's why there were other boats. His disciples wouldn't have fit in one boat. Okay, so Jesus is split up with his disciples in multiple boats, but not only that, there's people with him. So even at night, 
even on a body of water, there are people who still want to be with Jesus. Even then, I, like all these details just continue to give me further and further anxiety as I think about it. Nighttime, water, people are still wanting to hear more teaching. They're following us. We can't get away from them. Multiple boats. And that's all before the storm comes. But I think about the fact that Jesus led them there. I don't know if you think about this, but the storm was not a surprise to Jesus, right? Nothing is a surprise to Jesus. The fact that a storm is going to come brewing up on that lake is not a surprise to him. He he knew that it would happen. So then that line of uh, thought took me to the reality not only that he's sovereign, that he knew this, that he's in control, but then I thought, well, did Jesus cause this storm? Because either Jesus caused this storm maybe to test the disciples and see how they responded. Or he allowed the storm, maybe the enemy caused it. In fact, it's interesting to think even in the language, the, the, the original language in the Greek, what Jesus says to the storm when he says, peace be still, he says the same phrase that he says to the demon in chapter one. In other words, he says, peace be be quiet, be still, stay quiet. It's the same thing he says to the demon, he says to the storm. So maybe the enemy has caused the storm and Jesus calms the storm. So he's allowed the storm to teach the disciples a little bit more about who he is. Or maybe it's just a storm. Because we have storms, right? We have storms in life. But the thing that's important for us to see this morning is whether he caused it, whether he allowed it, or it's just a storm, Jesus is in control of it. Jesus is over it. He is sovereign, regardless of the cause or the nature of the storm. We uh, spent some time this week in Dallas with my wife's, some of her family, her brother, Stephen, lives outside of Dallas, and he is recently in the last... I don't know, four months or so, uh, being diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer. And it's a very serious uh, diagnosis, something that we're very heartbroken over, very concerned about. To say that Stephen is now in a storm is an understatement, right? And so the whole time we're there, we're, we're thinking about it, we're, we're excited to be with him uh, we had a beautiful time of prayer on Friday as a family and acknowledging, we're, we're not going to just not acknowledge that this is happening. We, yes, we want to have fun and we want to enjoy each other, but let's stop for a moment and say, God, you're in control of this storm, right? And so we prayed that way. Many of you have storms in your life right now. Even as I say that, you're going to a certain instance with some family members or financially or physically or some other thing in your life that's brewing right now that is concerning, to say the least. Whatever you're facing, you often will think the same thing. You'll think things like this that we just talked about, like, God, did you cause this? Did you cause this, God? And then when when we say, did you cause this, the next wonder, the next question is, are you good? Did you cause this? Because if you're good, why would you cause this, right? Or then we ask the question, God, did, did you allow this? 
And then the next question is, are you powerful? Because you're more powerful than anything. Then then you could have stopped this, but you allowed it. Or maybe we just realize, Lord, we live in a fallen condition where there is sickness and brokenness and difficulty and storms in life that we have to deal with. Whatever the case may be, you might be asking this question, are you with me? Friends, can I just encourage you this morning as we get into God's word? Yes. (laughs) Yes, he is good. Yes, he is powerful. And yes, he is with you. No matter what, he's all of these things in our story. Let's keep going. Verse 38, we see that Jesus was asleep in the boat. Isn't that interesting? But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This is just such an interesting piece of this story here. Now, first thing I want to remind you of is is where the, the story's coming from. Mark is writing it, but Mark was not there. He needs an eyewitness testimony, and that comes most likely from Peter. So Peter was there on the boat with Jesus giving the details. And what I love about this, it's not just a story about Jesus in a storm. He says, no, Jesus was in the stern. Isn't that cool? This is Peter remembering the details of the story. He was in the stern of the boat, and let's see, he was on the cushion. I love the eyewitness detail that Peter gives to the story. And he gives this this phrase, it was a great windstorm. Think in your mind of those 10-foot waves of like a hurricane. It's not a small storm. And yes, there are seven fishermen that are on these boats, but in this moment, they didn't know what to do. They were fearing for their lives, and yet Jesus is asleep. Now, i got to be honest, as a parent, for a minute I went, Okay, let me think through this. Now, was Jesus laying back there on the cushion like this? No, I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, I do that with my kids sometimes. Jovi did that this morning in in the car on the way here. She was messing with us. I don't think Jesus was feigning that. I don't think he was faking sleep. I don't think he, he did that kind of a thing. I think he was asleep. And the only way that Jesus could be asleep in a hurricane with the rain pouring down, wet, he's literally wet, this is an open boat, with the water rising around his feet, I mean, the only way he could sleep is if he was absolutely exhausted. If you're a parent of, uh, and you've had little children before, you know there's some times where you found them sleeping in the most odd places and odd positions, right? You know, over a toy, halfway off the couch, you know, it's like, when they get to a certain point where they've played and played and they're just so exhausted, it doesn't matter where they fall, they're just going to fall. And like I said, when we started, this story is one that is, I mean, it's been a busy day. And Jesus is so exhausted, he's sleeping in the middle of a hurricane. By the way, this is the only place in the New Testament we see where Jesus, that speaks of Jesus sleeping. And next to the crucifixion and the resurrection, which are incredible moments that show humanity and divinity together, this is probably the most powerful one. 
right? The humanity of Jesus asleep on this boat, and yet the divinity of him waking and calming the storm. Juxtaposed together, it's just this amazing thing, amazing reality of both examples of who Jesus is. We see in the New Testament different times where Jesus is uh, human, right? A lot of examples of Jesus' humanity. Things like where he's been hungry. We've seen where he's been angry, right? In the temple, he, he fashions a whip. We see um, where he has cried at Lazarus' death. We see where he is stressed out in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweats drops of blood. We see where he is on a cross and he dies. All these are human realities. And all of these things we have faced and will face as human beings. So yes, for Jesus to sleep, he had to be exhausted, but there's also a reality here that's at play, and that is that not only is he exhausted, but he is at great peace. It's another thing for a child to fall asleep somewhere. They're not worried about anything. So Jesus is exhausted, and yet he is at peace because he has complete trust in his Father. He knows that he's going to die on a cross. He, in fact, we see that throughout the Gospels. He, he says this multiple times to the disciples. He knows that's where he will die. So it won't be on a, a boat in the middle of the lake. He trusts his father with his life, and he's resting even in the middle of that chaos. But here's something that's interesting about chaos in your life and mine. It will reveal some things. Either we can rest in the middle of chaos because we have trust in God, our Father, or it reveal not only that fear that's going on, but really what we're made of. And this is what we see in this moment in the disciples' lives. The disciples wake him, but they don't only wake him, they accuse Jesus. You see that? They accuse him of not caring. They say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? There's a big difference in going, Jesus, wake up, there's a storm. And going, Jesus, wake up. Do you not care that we're dying here? You see the difference? This implication that you don't care about us. The one human being who has cared more about people than any other human being ever. It is a very revealing moment about the disciples and about us. Moments of fear. Moments of chaos will reveal what you're made of, trust or fear. And when that's fear, oftentimes we begin to, to, to act out in ways that are not very becoming. Jesus had healed, he had loved, he had accepted people, he had protected people from abuse, he had done all these things, and these disciples had witnessed all of these things, and yet they feel afraid and concerned for their lives, and somehow in the middle of that, they forget all that he had done. They forget how he's loved, how he's proved again and again. Maybe in their minds, the storm is too big for Jesus. Yeah, you can heal somebody. Yeah, we saw some food. Yeah, we saw you cast out a demon, but we, gotta, we're, we need to run for our lives. Like We need to be afraid here. You're, you're not over this, right? Surely. And they question Jesus' concern for them. I wonder if you've ever done that. I know I have. In the middle of fear, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of concern, 
do you really care for me? Do you really love me? Are you really good? How could this happen, God? Hmm. See, what happens sometimes is we create a narrative about God. That's exactly what they did. This narrative for the disciples in their fearful hearts was a false one. It wasn't true. And just because they didn't see Jesus doing anything, they didn't realize he's still in control. And often we don't see God doing something. We can't make it out in our minds or, or see it with our eyes or understand it with our hearts. And we go, are you good? Are you still there? Do you not care about us and what's going on? Don't make the mistake that Jesus is not in control. He is always in control. Just because he's resting, just because he's at peace, they believe the worst. And often we do the same things. We can believe the worst about people. And we create in our minds this narrative about them. Sometimes it may or may not be true. Have you ever done that? We do it with God, yes, but we also do it with each other. When somebody doesn't text you back, when you haven't heard a phone call in a while, when you're sick and you didn't get a call from somebody, or you, whatever the case may be, well, pfft, they just don't love me, obviously, right? They don't care. They didn't say anything. They, we begin to create these false narratives that are not helpful for a relationship. That's exactly what we see the disciples doing. Or, if you look at it the other direction, maybe you have a peace in the middle of chaos. Maybe you feel comforted and trusting in the Lord, and that will unsettle some people. Your trust, your, your faith, your lack of fear in the moments that are serious will, will make people go, are you not concerned about this? Are you not worried? Right? It can go one way or another. But in the disciples, fear caused them to doubt and accuse Jesus of not caring. Don't let fear in your life, no matter what the storm is that you're walking through, don't let fear lead you to this sinful lack of trust in God's ability, his power, his goodness, his presence, his love for you. He said he will never leave us or forsake us. What could separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Don't doubt it. So Jesus wakes up. And he shows them who's in control, right? He wakes up, and I love the fact that he wakes up and he doesn't rebuke them. What did you just say? I don't care about you. He didn't, he didn't go there, right? He wakes up, and he deals with the storm. Verse 39, he, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you so afraid and have you still no faith? See, what's interesting, in our study in Mark, Jesus has shown us all the way from the very beginning of chapter 1 how he has authority over all things, right? He has authority over the devil in the wilderness, he has authority over demons, and he's casting out demons. He has authority over sickness and disease. He has authority over everything. And now we see not only death, he has authority over the elements themselves, nature. He has authority over everything. And so Jesus says, peace be still to the wind 
And I, in my mind, it plays out like this amazing epic drama, right? The 10-foot waves are going on the side of the boat. The boat's filling with water. And Jesus says, peace, be still. And not only does the wind stop immediately, but the waves caught in the air drop to a calm surface. And it is eerily quiet. Because when the king of kings says be quiet, guess what? It will be quiet. Everything will be quiet. The wind, the waves, the disciples, you, me, everything will shut up. I promise you. And there is a silence that is deafening. And in that moment, the creator of the world calms the storm, and then he questions their faith, right? That's what we ask the question. Why are you so afraid? Just this question just ringing out in the silence. Have you still no faith? Maybe they were thinking about their good Jewish upbringing, where in Genesis 1 it says, and God created the heavens and the earth, the wind and the waves. Maybe in their minds they were thinking, could it be? This is God the creator. It, it must be. Right? John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is speaking of Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus. Colossians 1.16 about Jesus. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. Watch this. And in him all things hold together. Everything. Atoms. He's the creator of the universe, everything made by him and for him. And in that moment, he's literally holding the elements together. And so when he speaks to them, because he created them, they listen and obey. This is an ultimate example of his authority. Time and time again, he's shown who he is, that he has authority over all things. And this is the ultimate example of his authority, and they're left speechless. Maybe they're thinking of their good Jewish roots when they're thinking of Psalm 65, verse 6, where it says, the one who by his strength established the mountains being uh, girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Or Psalm 89, 9 that says, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Or Psalm 107, 23 that says, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They, mount, they mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and uh, they were at their wits' end. That sounds familiar, huh? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. 
Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Was that going through their minds? Were they thinking, I've heard this before, where God does the unthinkable and now this unreal thought that maybe, just maybe, the creator of the world is standing in our fishing boat. How? Maybe they were thinking of all the other men who stood before a holy God. Maybe they were thinking of what their appropriate response should be when they had no words to reply to Jesus' questions. And they thought about people like Abraham in Genesis 18 that says before the Lord, I am dust and ashes. Or Job in Job 42 where he says, I repent in dust and ashes. Or Samson's father in Judges 13 that says, we will surely die for we have seen God. Or Isaiah as he's before God's throne in Isaiah 6 when he says, woe is me for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips coming from a people of unclean lips. Or Ezekiel when he saw a vision of the Lord in chapter 1. And he falls on his face before the Lord. Or Daniel in chapter 10, when before the Lord, he falls before his sleep in a, a face in a deep sleep. Or even later, Peter, Luke chapter 5. Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. The apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, when he falls before Jesus' feet, on the road to Damascus, or John in Revelation 1 when he falls before Jesus' feet like a dead man, Scripture says. Because when you stand and you truly understand who you stand before, you can't stand. You truly understand his holiness and your fallenness. You get a right understanding of who he is and who you are. These are common fishermen now standing in the presence of God in the flesh. Verse 41, I want us to see that what they're understanding in this moment is that being in the presence of God is more terrifying than being in this storm. Watch what it says. They were filled with great fear. Some of your translations say they were terrified. They didn't give that descriptor in the middle of the storm. Isn't that interesting? They didn't say they were terrified in the storm. But here before Jesus, after he's calmed it, now they're terrified. They're filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Can, can we wrap our brains around what the possibility of this is? Can we comprehend what's happened, what's just taken place? See, the storm could have taken their lives, but this is the God of the ages that, could, that holds their eternity in his hands. They're trying to wrap their brain around all this, and Jesus says to them, have you still no faith? Right? What, what are you afraid of? And as if to say, while I'm with you. What can you be afraid of? I'm right here. Have you still no faith? As if to say, after all you've seen me do, you still don't believe? What is it going to take? I think it's interesting in our study next Sunday, we're going to be studying in our city groups, city group Sunday, 
where we meet in homes around the city. So we won't be here next Sunday in a service on campus. We'll be in our city groups all around the city. And we'll be studying this amazing story of Jesus with a demon-possessed man. And when Jesus cast out those demons, I promise you, you're going to see them say, Jesus, son of the living God. They know exactly who Jesus is. And yet Jesus says, have you still no faith? And they're speechless, the, the disciples. So that's what's so interesting and ironic about the gospel of Mark is it goes on and on about who Jesus is and his disciples are going, huh? I, I mean, it's not until his resurrection they go, oh my gosh, that's what he said. Sometimes we are like them. We're thick-headed. We're blind. We're stubborn. We don't get it. And sometimes it takes a storm in your life for God to shake you and go, wake up. Why are you afraid? I'm right here. Wake up. Do you still not believe? Have you still no faith? I'm right here. Friends, two things will happen with our lives in these moments. Either we're going to trust that God's with us and we realize we have nothing to fear. He holds it all. Or the fear will reveal who we are and a lack of faith in us. No matter what your storm is, no matter what is causing your fear, your anxiety, the thing that you're dealing with today, can I promise you something? He is with you. You may not see him working, but he's powerful. He's present. He's good. He loves you. Last thing I want to just mention to you is that in this moment of the storm, we have an opportunity. And often we don't see it. Sometimes we just try to get through it, don't we? Oh, Lord, just get me through to Lamar. Help me just to hang on. I need your help just to hang on, right? Oh, friends, what Jesus did, whether he caused it or allowed it or it was just a storm, he took their faith deeper than it had ever been before, right? And so I say, Lord, let the storms come. I get emotional when I say that because I'm, I'm afraid to say it. Storms are not fun. They're scary. But God uses the storms to deepen our faith. You have an opportunity. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Paul says, Rejoice always. I love this is the verse that I always talk about that, that Betsy and Corey Tenboom use in the concentration camp in the middle of unbelievable uh, persecution and suffering. They go to this verse, rejoice always. Can you see them? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Even in the storm, 
You don't just get by in a storm. God has a purpose for the storm to take you deeper if you'll let it. Watch this. Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's great. That's wonderful. He says, not only that in verse 3, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Not only that, but we rejoice in our storm. We rejoice in our chaos knowing that the suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God has a purpose for the storm to take you deeper into him if you'll let it. Don't just see it as a storm. Friends, it's an opportunity to know Jesus more. Isn't that what Paul prayed in Philippians 3? Oh, Lord, I just want to know you. I even want to know you in your sufferings. I want to know you, Lord, know you more. Don't let your fear cause you to lash out in false narratives or judgment of God or other people. Know that in the middle of your storm, Jesus does care. You don't have to question that anymore. He does care. He is there. He is present. He does know about it. And I promise you, he's powerful enough to calm it. Learn to rest in the middle of it. Your God holds you. He loves you. And he is with you. I want to I end the message before I pray with two questions. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word and for uh, the beauty of the truth of your word. And even in this story, God, we can learn more of who you are. And there are people right now in this room who who are walking through a difficult storm in multiple different areas maybe of their lives or maybe there's one that's just overwhelming. God, would you help them to dig deep today in their faith to not be afraid, to put their faith before them, Lord, to trust that you are there, that you are in control no matter how it got there in their lives. You're in control. You are good. You love them. Nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. And they have an opportunity to know you more if they'll trust you, if they'll just trust that in their faith, in their suffering, it can produce endurance. Their endurance can produce character. Their character can produce hope. And God, in our hope, we see Jesus who leads us to knowing you more, being used of you more. And we find rest. Lord, I pray that you give us rest in the middle of our storm and to teach us to rest in you even as Jesus rested in his Father. May we rest in ours because of your goodness, because of your presence, because of your power. God, I pray that you'd help us to lay down any fear. Maybe today we need to do that. We just need to say, Lord, I lay it down. May I rest and trust in you. I pray that you help us to do that now in Jesus' powerful and precious 
perfect name, the one who speaks to the storms of our lives. Peace, be still. Be still. In Jesus' name.